Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. My guest today, Brian Grimm, is president of the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation. And we have a topic that intrigues me greatly. Genocide recovery. How business can help. Very often we talk about, you know, threats to religious freedom. And we've certainly covered the persecution of the Yazidis uh, in Iraq in the past, which has been a, a major kind of genocidal situation over a number of years. But Brian, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. I'm looking forward to hearing about the efforts of your organization, Religious Freedom and Business Foundation, and um, how you're encouraging business to help the Yazidis recover from the period of intense persecution and violence and and genocidal destruction there in Iraq. Thanks, Alan. Great to be with you. It's it's a fascinating topic. Genocide is something that we think of as, you know, we've thought of, oh, that happened during the Holocaust, never again. And now we've got several cases of ongoing genocide with the Yazidis and, and other religious groups and Christian groups in northern Iraq under ISIS, in uh, Burma and Myanmar with Rohingya Muslims. Uh, the United States and several other countries have declared what's going on in western China among the Uyghurs. Uh, as a genocide uh, because of the policies to more or less eradicate their culture, limit their population growth, and so forth. So genocide is, um, is a, unfortunately, it's, it's a current topic, and it seems to be accelerating because the previous genocide to this, we had one in Bosnia and Uganda, but it seemed like there were decades, and now it, just in, in this decade, we've seen too much, going, too many problems. So why would business, you know, where are the touch points with business? Well, when genocide happens, um, especially, say, the case of the Yazidis, what happened was ISIS came in, they took over northern Iraq. It was, um, you know, a fairly peaceful place in general because you had the Kurds and other religious minorities in the north, Christians, and Yazidis. The ISIS came in, they viewed uh, Yazidis as devil worshippers, only fit for death or forced conversion. So they killed many of the men, took the women as sex slaves, bought and sold them on open markets. And then with the defeat of ISIS, these women now three, four, five years later have kids. And they're coming back to their camps. Some are still enslaved, but they're coming back. They have no homes to go to. They show up in refugee camps. The communities aren't necessarily receiving them warmly because they have Arab kids who, who are considered Muslim by Iraqi law because the father was a Muslim. So a tremendous disenfranchisement of thousands and thousands of women. So how do you address that? You know, there's cultural things, religious things, legal things. Well, one of the most important things is that these women need to support themselves and their babies. Nobody else is stepping in to do it. So they need jobs. So often after genocide, this is just spitting out one tail, but often after genocide, um, you know, communities are destroyed, support systems are destroyed, family networks are destroyed. So 
there needs to be new economic opportunities. And the foundation we work with, the Free Yazidi Foundation, has set up an economic training center for Yazidi women to learn some job skills, setting up a bakery to produce some of the bread the Yazidis like, and then thinking creatively of how can we expand this business. Now, when I'm talking about setting up a business, these women were uneducated before the genocide. In fact, many of them had never even been to school. They're not just illiterate, but they're innumerate. You know, they're not able to add, subtract, multiply, divide, or even recognize numbers. So you buy two of these in the store, how much does it cost? You know, it's not a, it's outside their, their skills. So you, for a business to come in, you know, it, it, they have to do job training, they have to give literacy. So there's a whole social issue there, but when it comes right down to it, they need jobs. So that's where one business can offer, can step in and help. The other is, I'll go backwards before the genocide. In the years before ISIS took over northern Iraq, there was a survey of people in northern Iraq, and they were generally well-educated, well, in general, the people in northern Iraq, not the Yazidi women, but overall. And they were asked, what is the biggest threat to your society? And number one was not religious extremism or terrorism or security. Number one was no jobs. So when thinking about preventing a genocide, had there been jobs, ISIS couldn't have swept in so easily because there was a gap. People, there was, society had broken down and ISIS was able to infiltrate and, and win over people and then it built from there. So business has could have had a role because there could have been businesses built in northern Iraq to, and that could have present, prevented the genocide. But now afterwards, to help these people who are suffering, really business is the key, having jobs. Well, are businesses now connecting with this Yazidi community and, uh, you know, doing something to provide jobs? Yeah, so one of the um, major construction companies in northern Iraq uh, has had a policy of specifically hiring a workforce from the different communities. So, uh, you know, now they're across northern Iraq trying to rebuild some roads, infrastructure, and it's a thoughtful approach to what business can do because often in um, sort of communal societies, if you have a business, you you hire people like you. You know, if you're a Sunni, you hire Sunnis, and if you're a Kurd, a Kurdish Christian, you hire Kurdish Christians, or Kurdish Muslim, you hire Kurdish Muslims, and so forth. Um, but uh, this construction company has really made it a priority to involve all the communities. So that's just one example of how you can take what could be economic development only for some, and then you spread it out for others. Uh, well, it, it sounds like that has a potential to break down intolerance among groups, too. If you're working shoulder to shoulder and you're getting to know people, then you make friends. Yeah. Uh, you have shared experiences and you no longer see them as the hated other. Well, and I mean, this is a little off topic, but most of my work is with Fortune 500 companies and uh, employee resource groups that are faith-oriented within the companies. And that's the story that I'm hearing from companies as diverse as Intel and Texas Instruments and American Express, American Airlines, is that when you have people of different faiths and backgrounds working together for a common goal, all these issues that divide us in sort of our political, you know, outside society 
fall away because, you know, we got to fly that airplane or we got to make that computer chip or we got to get those credit cards transactions processed and, you know, whatever that task is, when you're working side by side with somebody, those differences that we fight about elsewhere don't mean so, right. you know, it means so much because we've got to do our service or provide our product. Well, you know, and I've had the opportunity to work with both Muslim lawyers and some Muslim clients. And, you know, it has helped me to, instead of just sort of seeing as something out there, something I read about that I don't know very much about, you know, these are other people with other beliefs. Now they're my friends or people that I know. And I begin to see how much we have in common. Yeah. Well, and uh, just another example from the corporate world, there's a Christian group, a Muslim group in a major tech company, and they were working with their branch in Costa Rica, and down there they were going to do a business deal with Malaysia, which is Muslim. Well, the Christian and Muslim employee in America were friends because they worked together, and the Christian guy knew the guy in Costa Rica because they're part of the same Christian group within the company. And he said, I don't know anything about Muslims. How am I going to work with Malaysia? You know, I'm going to fail at my job. And the Christian guy said, well, you know, one of my best buddies is my Muslim colleague. He leads the Muslim group. Let me introduce you to him. And, and I just learned today that they have monthly phone calls, the, the guy, the Christian guy in Costa Rica and the Muslim guy in America, to not only see how to navigate business in a Muslim country, but to share with each other about their faiths and families, and they become friends. So, it, you know, working together really breaks down barriers and lets you see people, you know, as, as other people created by God, just like we are. So, you know, this is a lesson I want to put out to our listeners broadly. You know, whatever group it is that you see as the other, find ways to connect with somebody from that group and uh, to build relationships and they will stop being the other. And, you know, once you connect on a human level, you're just people. And look, I have differences with my Christian friends. So they may be different kinds of differences than I'll have with Muslim friends, right? But, you know, we all have things we connect with and we have in common and things that we differ. But that's, you know, like every snowflake is different, right? God's made us all a little bit different. So, you know, that's kind of the beauty of the human condition, isn't it? In some of my work with Fortune 500 companies, I'm working with a Muslim woman who's really pushed to have her company, a top consulting company, become faith-friendly. And she has had a lot of success in that, and she's brought everybody else along. So it's not just faith-friendly for Muslims. She's created an environment where everybody can feel free to bring their whole self to work, faith and all. And, you know, that's an ally. That's an ally for religious freedom. She's doing work that I, as a Christian, probably wouldn't have been so successful at. But she was... But Brian, I, yeah? in a couple minutes we have left, I've got to change subjects and put you on the spot. Because, okay. you know, on the news recently, New Zealand voted, you know, a statement about the situation in Xinjiang province with the Uyghur Muslims. And I'm listening to this and their reluctance to declare it genocide because of their extensive economic ties to China. And I'm thinking, you know, we just should stop doing business with China. They're off the reservation. They're not behaving like a civilized nation. And yet when you think about, well, it's not just that, you know, Apple is buying chips and everything from China, but China's the biggest market to sell Apple products. So, you know, 
The question I have for you is when we look at a genocide like the situation in China, from a business standpoint, from an economic standpoint, are there policy proposals that, that anyone has, that our country has? You know, how do we feel when there's such intensive interlocking economic interests? How do we deal with these kinds of just extreme human rights violations? I think you know, in a complicated situation like this to ask a single company to stop doing business in China is a death knell for the company. So it only comes about if there is a legal umbrella under which all of this action happens. So part of that is being set in motion with the uh, the Trade Act on Xinjiang Cotton, uh, which is considered being made by forced labor under these under the internment camps that they've been having, or educational camps, as they would call them. So that legislation then, um, you could say, gives permission or actually holds businesses accountable. So I think that in a situation like this, when you're involved with the two biggest economic powers in the world, you know, there needs to be a broader framework to address this. And, and of course, Congress and the Senate and the House of Republicans are both considering different legislation on that. So I think for the business world, those steps are really important. Otherwise, uh, they're left between the choice of, you know, not doing business in China and failing or uh, doing business in China and, you know, not necessarily feeling good about. And holding their nose, so to speak. Well, that's a topic we need to pursue more. Thank you for letting me put you on the spot. Our guest today, Brian Grimm, president of the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation. We're talking about how business can help genocide recovery. And as we close, remember here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help workers suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org, churchstate.org. And don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association on the web at religiousliberty.info. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Roddock. Until next week, let freedom ring.